0: before I preached because that is the whole story. That's the whole gospel there. You know, uh, you may not know this, but uh, Dana went to school. He did his undergraduate at a Methodist school. And I think maybe that's why he gets a little happy up here with his feet. You know, uh, if it was a Baptist school, he'd realize you're not one foot on the ground at all times, Brother Dana. You know, the word Christmas is becoming more and more exclusive to Christians given the politically correct culture in which we live. This year's been a little different. You know, I, we, we've tried to wish everybody we see, be it a waiter or waitress or a person at a store, wish wishing Merry Christmas. And I think everybody has responded Merry Christmas back with the exception of one man who just said Happy Holidays. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the politically correctness. Uh, you can't really call it a holiday. You know, those who call it a holiday really... They can't even call it that because that stems from two words, meaning holy day. And so if you call it a holiday, you're you're calling it a holy day, which takes you back to Christmas. But um, I I found some politically correct Christmas carols. Did you know they existed? Oh, they don't really exist. They just changed the name of them, okay? For instance, O come all ye faithful now becomes Approach Everyone Who Is Loyal. Same song, just different title. Now, you can't make a reference to anybody's race. Thus, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas becomes Fantasizing Concerning an Albino Yuletide. (laughs) You can't exclude anybody who's physically impaired, Brother Dana. So one of the songs that we sang today, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, Should be, I sense the bells on the non-religious specific day off in winter. Don't forget the secularist, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, becomes mutton observers ogle a bevy under eventide. (laughs) Say that one three times fast. Hark, the herald angels sing, becomes hush, the foretelling spirits harmonize. And you can't talk about somebody's height, you know, that whether they're short or tall especially if they're short so little drummer boy becomes the urchin percussionist (laughs) you cannot stereotype overweight people as happy nor make reference to a person's age or apply religious terms so jolly old saint nick becomes happy plus size chronologically gifted highly virtuous nicholas Since Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth, is inside the Zionist-occupied and disputed West Bank, a little town of Bethlehem should be sung, it said, as "O quaint, quaint town of Palestinian joint rule. No, a little town of Bethlehem. One more. little secular song here. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Any number of issues with that one. But it becomes, I beheld my maternal parent osculating a corpulent, unshaven male in crimson guise. You know, when talking about music, what is it with teenagers? Why don't teenagers like their parents' music? I mean, really, what's wrong with ZZ Top or the Bee Gees? I mean, it's good music right there. But they they don't like like their music. And, And a young man by the name of Isaac was no exception. One Sunday, as a teenager, Isaac was leaving church with his deacon father... And he looked at his dad and he said, man, that music was horrible today. And his dad challenged him. He said, fine, if you think the music's so bad, if you think the hymns are bad, why don't you write a better one? He went home and he did. In fact, they sang it the next Sunday in church. And for over four years, every week, Isaac would have a new hymn for them to sing in church. Isaac went on to become a preacher in the congregational church continued writing musical compositions for years. He stood barely five foot tall, but he made a huge impact on congregational singing and religious music. In fact, it's said that he revolutionized congregational singing. He is called the father of English hymns. He lived over 300 years ago, and yet churches still sing Isaac Watts' hymns today. He wrote hymns like, "O oh God, Our Help in Ages Past... When I survey the wondrous cross, alas and did my Savior bleed." But his, wi- his most widely known hymn is typically only sung at Christmas, even though Watts never intended it for, for it to be a Christmas song. He published it in 1719. It's called "Joy to the World." In eighteen thirty six a man named Lowell Mason put a tune to it that we sing today. Watts wrote the song he wrote the song out of psalm eighty nine talking about the great things that god had done and so, if you want to understand the song "Joy to the World," go home today and read psalm eighty nine and you 'll begin to see what he was thinking about as he penned it we 're in a series called christmas hymns we 've been looking at some of the carols, some of the hymns that we sing, and talking about how they are scripturally based we we had We, we looked at uh, a little town of Bethlehem and looked at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where, where it was prophesied 750 years before Christ came that, that, he would, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And, and so today we wrap up the series with joy to the world. I want you to take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We're going to read the Christmas story today, and then we're going to focus in on about four verses of the Christmas story and what they mean to us. Luke 2. Beginning in verse 1, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. I think it was uh, the day after Thanksgiving that Sirius Radio began playing their Christmas music on Holly. And so I've been listening to Christmas music for over a month and, and, you know, when you've been listening that long, you hear the same songs or the same themes over and over again and and I've heard songs refer to this being the most wonderful time of the year. I thought about that as I was preparing this sermon and I want to issue a caveat here at the front because we're, we're talking about joy to the world and folks saying it's the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is not always a happy season for many people. I was reading a blog this week on psychologytoday.com, and I want you to hear what the blog writer said. There's nothing like the Christmas season to force you to face the fact that life isn't always joyful and triumphant as we're led to believe. What happens? For single people, in particular, Christmas and New Year can be a very isolating time. But even if family and friends surround you, this time of year can bring more than its fair share of stress, noise, anxiety, and squabbles. Add this to long standing money worries, family conflicts, job problems, or bereavement. And it's no wonder calls to helplines about depression and suicide rise nearly 10% during the Christmas season. I was reading that I, that, that kind of picked my interest, and so I read a little bit farther on some other uh, articles. And, and, and there are many reasons that people struggle at Christmas time. Some this year have went through a separation or a divorce, and life's not the same as it has been in years past, and so for them, it's not necessarily the most joyful time of the year. Others, others here today have experienced the death of a loved one this year, and you miss that loved one greatly. And so Christmas has a different kind of feel to it this year because you're grieving the loss of someone that won't be there. Often, in this fast-paced world in which we live, our, 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 our schedules are already cram-packed, and, and so we get stressed to the max because we're trying to add that many more things into an overstressed schedule. The financial costs of Christmas can place a burden on a tight budget. One of the articles I read was entitled Depression at Christmas, and it found that 45 get this, 45% of Americans dread the season that was that was mind boggling to me forty five percent dread the season for those very reasons and others that i mentioned and if a person is prone to depression, they have a fifty seven percent fifty seven percent of them said that Christmas makes it worse you know it's hard. I can understand and sympathize when folks who have lost a loved one or have had money issues or or a, a divorce or separation. you know many people are trying to find the perfect gift at the mall and Some people just wish they had the means to be able to shop at the mall for Christmas. But I do believe Christmas can be a time of joy. may not be a time of happiness, but it can be a time of joy. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice it. I want you to understand. He doesn't say that we give thanks for everything, but he says we give thanks everything in everything and there's a difference because there are things that happen that we're not necessarily thankful for if you experience the death of a loved one this year you're not necessarily thankful for that fact but you can have you can be thankful in that grief especially if you know the loved one was a believer and you'll see him again in glory i want you to i want to give you three reasons that this can be a season of joy for you according to our text and then i want to give you some life application how you can take Take this message home with you and live it out day by day first of all there's joy over a son now unless it's your family that has the baby you know it could be a grandchild aunt uncle your own child unless it's your family that has a baby or it's a royal family that has a baby not a not a whole lot of people pay attention to births you know more people i think read the obituaries than they read the birth announcements just making sure our name's not in there you know the older we get you just gotta check um, but you know you, you, you read the news and it's talking about the world economy it's talking about terrorism it's talking about isis it's talking about whether or not the the embassy should be in jerusalem which by the way it should because jerusalem is always has been always will be the capital of the jewish land that god gave to them all the way back in genesis chapter 12 but that's a whole another sermon Amen. all right But but the world is reading these kinds of things, and we maybe ought to be paying attention more to the birth, because the births of today are going to be shaping the world of tomorrow. One of my favorite Christmas illustrations revolves around the year 1809. In 1809, had you Had you had the opportunity to turn on a news network on television or go to the internet and read, you would have no doubt read about a diminutive little French dictator by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. In that year, he was streaming across Austria, conquering it. And it seemed as though this little dictator would become the ruler of the known world. Nothing would seem more important. But the babies being born in 1809... Folks should have paid a little bit more attention to the babies that were being born because those babies have shaped the world. Some of the folks who were born in 1809, William Gladstone became a four times prime minister in Great Britain. Alfred Tennyson, the poet, was born in Lincolnshire, and Edgar Allan Poe was born in Boston. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Felix Mendelssohn, the great composer, was born in Homsburg. Louis Braille first opened his eyes in France. A physician in England by the name of Darwin welcomed a son named Charles Robert. Hodgenville, Kentucky in a log cabin. A family named Lincoln gave birth to a son they called Abraham. The world was shaped by those babies that were born in 1809. Likewise, friend, 2,000 years ago, if you had had the opportunity to turn on the news, the world would have been talking about Roman taxation, about Roman oppression. They would have been talking about how this is the very first time when Rome is issuing a tax and a census and inconveniencing everyone by making them return to their ancestral homes to pay their tax. Nobody would have paid attention to a little baby that was born back behind in the because there was no room for them in the inn. Born in a stable, placed in a feed trough, and yet the baby that was born that day, that son, is the pivotal person in human history. That one child, that one son shaped human history as we know it. And so we can have joy today over the fact that there's a son and that we know him and his name is Jesus. And the most, most amazing thing is he was a real baby. It wasn't just a show. Like all babies, Jesus had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to walk. Um, he needed changed and fed and bathed. God in the flesh had to, had to learn all of these things. To the passers-by, he appeared as a baby. To Mary, she saw God in the flesh. He became one of us living here on earth so that he could die for us that we might live with him. It says in verse 12 that the angel tells the shepherds, this will be the sign, the babe, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. What's wrong with this picture? I mean, this is the son of God we're talking about. This is God in the flesh and they're directed to go to a barn to find him. Not to a mansion, but to a manger. Not to a place that has many servants, but a place that houses sheep. Not to see a babe clothed in robes, but a babe clothed in rags. The second reason there's joy is it's over a Savior. Not just over a son, but over a Savior. Verse 10 says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. What was this good news that the angel had to announce? Well, he tells them there in verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Our Savior delivers us from defeat, from disease, from death. He sets us free from those things. God and God alone reserves and deserves the right to be called Savior. No one else should be referred to as Savior other than God because he epitomizes what saving is. Isaiah forty three eleven, God says, I, even I, am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 49, 26, All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior, savior and your Redeemer. You know why a lot of folks don't understand the meaning of Christmas and why they can't celebrate Christmas? Because they don't grasp the fact, they don't understand the story that it's about a Savior. About someone who came to save them. All they see is an infant that was born in a remote town in Israel and placed in a feed trough. In the New Testament, the word Savior or the noun salvation or the verb to save is found in all 27 books of the New Testament. It's rooted in the Latin word, salvare, which means to make safe or secure. In a scriptural sense, it means to, to save us from the penalty and rescue us from the power of sin. John said in 1 John four fourteen, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. In the, Jesus is Greek for the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Joshua means Jehovah saves or Savior. That's why the angel said in Matthew one twenty one, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, to understand that he is a Savior also gives us great under, that We understand who he is, but that also helps us understand who we are. Because for him to be a Savior... There has to be folks that ne- needed salvation. And see, we are sinners. And he's the Savior. Were we not sinners, there would be no need for a Savior. Now, in order to be Savior, you ever thought about this fact? He had to be both human and divine. Had to be both. He had to be human because in order to be human, the Bible's. All the way from the book of Genesis on, from the very Garden of Eden, God's payment for sin has always been a blood sacrifice. With Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did he do? He, cl- he covered their nakedness with animal skins. Now, you're not going to get an animal skin unless you kill the animal first. All right? And so there was a blood sacrifice all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And you can trace it all the way through in in the book of Exodus at the Passover They were to take the blood of a lamb and it was the lamb of, uh, they would take the blood and put it over the doorpost and that lamb would spare then the family. God would pass over that house and then in the tabernacle and and in the temple and it goes on until we get to Jesus and John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he he had to be human in order to be able to shed blood and physically die to pay the price of sin. But he had to be divine because if he was human, he would have a sin nature. If he was only human, he would be a sinner and could not be a savior. He would need a savior. And so in this in this infant we find something unique that he's both god and man man so that he can die for our sins god so that he's perfect when he dies for our sins and we don't have to die for them ourselves that's why paul says in second corinthians 5:21 for he made him jesus who knew no sin he never sinned to do what be sin for us why so that we might become the righteousness of god in him i want you to meet anisa ayala bracket and her sister marissa theirs is a pretty amazing story that i want to share with you it was 1989 and anissa bracket the older one was 16 years old and she was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia if you're given this diagnosis you typically die within five years without a bone marrow transplant Marissa's parents, Abe and Mary Ayala, began a nationwide search for a donor, and they couldn't find a, a, a match anywhere. They knew that her best chance for a bone marrow match was a sibling, and they only, she only had one other child. They had one other child named Aaron, and his, blood, his bone marrow was not a match. And so what Anissa needed was a sibling who didn't even exist at that point. Abe and Mary, though, stepped out in faith in an effort to save their daughter. First, Abe Abe had to have a vasectomy reversed. The success rate of that is estimated to be about 40%. Mary was 43 years old, and at 43 then, she had to become pregnant and carry a a baby to full term, which it was estimated to be about a 10% chance of both of those things happening. And even if one and two did happen and she were to be able to carry a baby to full term, there was only a 25% chance that the bone marrow would match, only a one in four chance that if all of those things happened, she, that the bone marrow would actually match. Now, we're three years into the diagnosis, and niece's life clock is ticking. April the 3rd, 1990, Mary bore a daughter that she named Marissa the younger lady on the screen. Fetal stem cells were extracted from the umbilical cord and then frozen for use. Miraculously, Marissa's bone marrow was an exact match to her sister, Anissa. An exact match. Now, though, they had to wait for Marissa to grow strong enough to donate the bone marrow that would be needed for the transplant. All the while, the clock is ticking August 1991, 14-month-old Marissa Ayala laid on an operating table where they inserted an inch-long needle into her hip and withdrew bone marrow, not just any bone marrow. This was life-giving bone marrow. She was saving the life of her sister by giving this. The doctors estimate that it's about a 70% success rate. When they find a bone marrow match, it it fixes it about 70% of the time miracle after miracle after miracle had to happen in order for Anisa's life to be saved and every one of them happened as i reread that story this week i got to thinking about the comparisons though to jesus and they're they're similar but yet they're different marissa was born to live jesus was born to die Her marrow may or may not have been a match for her sisters, but Jesus' blood was a guarantee to be accepted as a payment for our sins. And so this is a joyful season because of a son. It's a joyful season because of a Savior. Third, it's a joyful season because of a sovereign. Look in verse 11 if you have your Bible open. I want you to see it. Because all three of these things are found in this one verse. For there is born, there's the Son, right? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. So we have a Son who is a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's the Sovereign. All three of them are found in the angel's announcement in verse 11 of our text. The word Lord is found over 9,000 times in the Old Testament. 6,000 times, it's a reference to Yahweh or to the name of God. This baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and laid in a manger is not just the Messiah of the Jews, not even just the Savior of the world. Friend, this is the Lord of all creation in that manger. That's more than the Savior of the world. That's more than the Messiah of the Jews. That's the Lord of all creation. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on Santa Claus this year not a whole lot of talk about jesus i want to share with you the differences between because the difference between marissa and jesus is similar to the difference between santa and jesus santa lives at the north pole jesus lives everywhere there's no place you can go that jesus isn't santa rides in a sleigh jesus rides on the wind and walks on water santa comes once a year and jesus is an ever-present help in time of trouble Santa fills your stockings with goodies and Jesus supplies all of your needs according to his riches. Santa comes down your chimney uninvited. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks and only enters when you say come in. Santa invites you to sit in his lap. Jesus invites you to rest in his arms. Santa doesn't always know your name. That's why sometimes you see him at the mall. He says, hi, boy, or hi, little girl. Jesus knew our name before we did. Santa has a belly like a bowl full of jelly. Santa has a heart. I mean, Jesus has a heart full of love. Santa says, ho, 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 and Jesus offers health and hope. Santa says, you better not cry. Jesus says, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. Santa's helpers make toys. Jesus makes new life, mends broken lives, repairs broken homes, and builds mansions in heaven. Santa puts gifts under a tree. Jesus died on a tree that we might be saved. There's a big difference between the two. Christmas is about a sovereign. Folks, it is about grace, not gifts. I know why we exchange gifts, but Christmas is about the grace of God. Jesus is and always will be the reason for the season. There is no Christmas season without Jesus. It's about a son, it's about a savior, it's about a sovereign. So let me give you some life application. God delivered this message for all mankind, but don't miss who he gave it to first. Who were the first people that heard, outside of Joseph and Mary about Jesus. Shepherds. And, and, and it's significant that it was the shepherds who were told first. Why? Because shepherds were the lowest rung on the socioeconomic ladder. You didn't get lower than shepherds. Because of their job in taking care of animals, they were constantly ceremonially unclean and could not worship in the temple. Even though they were raising the lambs that would be offered in the temple, they personally couldn't go into the temple. They were despised. They were nomadic. They were seen as thieves and they couldn't testify in a court of law. They were outcasts and misfits. And God chose them to give this heavenly message of good news to first. And I want you to see what the angel said because this is where we find the life application. Verse 10. The angel said, you don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I know the scripture says many have entertained angels and didn't know it. and Maybe I have, but best I know, I've never seen an angel. And if I seen one at night in the sky, like what they're talking about, I think fear would probably be my response. Just like the shepherds. And what's the very first thing out of the angel's mouth? Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Listen, the fact that Jesus came, we don't have to be afraid anymore. Robert J. Morgan wrote a book called Worry Less and Live More. In in that book, he tells how Amazon, I didn't know this, but Amazon, when you read a book that you've purchased off Amazon, they track highlighted passages. So they can tell you every book that's sold on Amazon, what is the most highlighted passage in that book, be it uh, Harry Potter, whatever. And and so it was interesting when he detailed the most highlighted passage in the online Bible. It's not John 3, 16, even though we might think that. It's not the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, even though we might think that one. It's not Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The most highlighted passage in Scripture is is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Listen to me, friend. The The life application, the first life application of the Christmas story is you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of sickness. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of of disease, nothing. He's got it. Life application number two is God became one of us so we could know him. Now I want you to notice what the angel said and what he didn't say. Because again, I'm a firm believer that God means what he says, says what he means. And the angel does not say, for there is born to Mary this day. Now, that would be the logical way to put it, right? I mean, she's the only one who gave birth. But the angel says, there is born to you this day. See, Jesus didn't just come to Mary. He came to you, and he came to you, and he came to me. Today, a Savior's born to you. It demonstrates how God wants a personal relationship with who? With everybody, beginning from the shepherds and on up. A little girl who was afraid of the dark cried out to her dad. She says, Daddy, come in here and lay down with me in my bed till I fall asleep. And he says, No, honey, just hug your teddy bear. You'll be fine. And she responded, No, Daddy, I want something with skin on it. <laughs> God came to earth with skin on him so that we don't have to be afraid. He became one of us so we could personally know him. Life application number three, God offers you the greatest gift ever. The greatest gift ever it's interesting to me that the shepherds weren't commanded to go to bethlehem you ever thought about that verse 12 i mean this will be assigned to you you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger but they're not commanded to go they're offered the good news they had to make a decision to go that's why later it said, they say to one another, let us go. Verse 15, let us now go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has come to pass. They heard God's invitation. Hey, there's a Savior. Been born, you'll find him, and this is where you'll find him, and this is what he looks like. But they had to make a choice. Are we going to go find the Savior or Not. Are we going to respond to God's invitation or not? Friend, today God offers you the greatest gift ever salvation through Jesus Christ, but he doesn't force it on you. You have to personally make a choice to to accept the gift of God. John 1, 12, to as many as received him, talking about Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called the sons of God to those who believe on his name. You have the opportunity to receive the greatest gift ever today. So they go and they find mary and joseph i don't think that the the whole story here because it can't be because think about this mary's just given birth kind of a private moment they've wrapped jesus in swaddling cloth and laid him down in a feed trough and i imagine at this point joseph's kind of tending to mary and these shepherds come into the barn i can imagine joseph whoa 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 hey no not tonight we're in here and they probably had to explain no you don't understand the angel appeared to us and this is what the angel told us and so we've come looking for your baby so i wondered if if what happened next is what happens when i go up to the hospital after somebody's given birth and you know i go into the room and it's, I, I love it when they say do you want to hold the baby Is <laughs> the pope catholic <laughs> yeah i want to hold the baby You know, I love holding that little bit, And and so I wonder, I wonder if Joseph and Mary asked the shepherds, do you want to hold him? Those rough, calloused hands who had been taking care of the lambs that would be offered at the temple for sacrifice for sin. if they did, they held in their hands the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world. I don't know if Mary invited them. But I do know that God invites you to take for yourself the Lamb of God who will forgive your sin. He gives you the invite. You have to act by faith. Life application number four, I'm done. Once you meet him, you can't keep quiet. Once you meet Jesus, you can't keep quiet. In verse 17, after they meet, and what did Jesus say to them? At this point, if he said anything, it was probably like, Meah. they became the very first evangelists. Look at verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Anybody who would listen to them, they began to tell about that baby that was in that barn that was laid in that feed trough to that poor couple from Nazareth. Verse 18, all who heard it were amazed. Why were they amazed? I mean, think about it. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you need to understand the Savior of the world has been born in that barn. And, and especially if they're the lowest on the socioeconomic rung, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. Wait, uh, let me smell your breath. What have you been drinking? That would be our response. But I believe that the reason all who heard it were amazed is because they could see the change in those shepherds. They weren't the same after they met Jesus. And because they weren't the same, they couldn't stop talking about him. You know, the story has new meaning for me since I became a grandpa. Because there's just something about grandkids. You love them differently than kids. And for those of you who have that to look forward to, you'll know what I'm talking about. And those of you who already experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I reread this story about Grandpa was at his daughter's house for Christmas and little Johnny was in the playpen screaming. Grandpa came out to see what the deal was and Johnny stuck out them fat little hands and said, up, Gramps, up. And just as Grandpa bent over to pick up little Johnny out of the playpen, Mama came around the corner and she said, no you're in trouble, Johnny, and you're going to stay there for now. She turned and left. and Little boy's crying, and he's like, up, Gramps, up. Tearing out the heart of the grandpa. The grandpa couldn't take him out, and so the grandpa got in the playpen <laughs> with little Johnny. Friend, we're little Johnny and we can't save ourselves because we're sinners and we cry out I need a savior and Jesus leaves the glories of heaven and comes to the playpen of life and takes on human flesh and gets in with us so that we're not alone once you meet him You can't keep quiet about him. He came to earth robed in human flesh so that he could be with us, so that he could die for us, that we might live with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. How it's not just a story. It records the very birth of, of God in the flesh. The birth of the one whose name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. The one whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. God, I pray during this time of invitation that we have heard from your Holy Spirit and that we now will be obedient to respond in a way that would bring honor to the call of the Holy Spirit on our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.